Well, good evening. So, uh, as you may or may not know, Jackie is still under quarantine. We're thinking about keeping him in quarantine for quite a while, actually. No, I'm just kidding. Tonight, uh, rather than a traditional sermon, I'd like to just have a conversation with you. Except, I'm going to be the one doing all the talking. Seriously, though, I want to encourage you tonight to consider the part that gratitude plays or doesn't play in your life. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. You're thinking, uh, Thanksgiving is still two months away. But let me just get this thought into your mind, and that is that gratitude is something that we should be practicing every single day. That gratitude, when it begins to enter our life and it begins to flow from us, is something that can change our lives and change the way we relate to one another and the way we see and relate to God. Over and over again in Scripture, we read about the importance and the power of being grateful. So let's take a moment here and we'll pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together tonight. Lord, I pray that um, as we discuss gratitude, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears and just really speak to us, Lord. Help us to understand the importance and truly the power that gratitude can play in our lives. We thank you for your many blessings and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I have to tell you that as I prepared for this message, it got me started to thinking about the things that I'm grateful for. And you know, it's easy to look around the world today and just be filled with despair. But as I began to think about the things I'm grateful for, uh, I realized that uh, those things outweigh the bad stuff that I see happening all around me. And I'll just tell you a few of those things. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful that we have the ability to gather here uh, actually much more openly than in many places in our own country. Uh, I'm thankful for the ministries that happen here. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to serve here. I'm thankful for my wife. And I'm thankful that we are in this part of our lives, this season of our lives together. I can't imagine being at this point uh, without her. In fact, I can't imagine being at any point in our life without her. Uh, I'm thankful that I live in Idaho. I'm thankful for the countryside and the beauty that we see everywhere around us. It's just really, truly something that it's so easy to take for granted. But when we stop and open our eyes and open our hearts to the glory that God has given to us, it is truly amazing. And you know, I think if you stop and think about it, we, we all agree that we have a lot to be grateful for. The problem is, we don't often think. It's far too easy to be caught up in our problems and our worries and our desires. It's too easy to think about the things we don't have, whether they be things that we need or things that we want. And to be truthful, it's especially easy in times like today. We face a world today, we face a country today that is unprecedented in our history. 
All you have to do is open up the internet or turn on the radio. Does anybody listen to the radio anymore? Or turn on television? And what do you see? You see riots and civil unrest. You see division between races, division in politics, division in the church. Everywhere, everything just seems to be bad. But the situation is even worse. We have become a thankless nation. We have become a country of entitlement rather than a country of gratitude. We believe that we are owed something, somewhere, from somebody. Especially if it's something that someone else has and we don't. I remember a few years back there was a show on television called Extreme Home Makeover. Does anybody else remember that show? I remember a team of tradesmen would choose a family that had really serious house problems. They had mold or leaky ceiling or you know, broken down floors or flooded basement. They had really serious home problems and they would move them out and within the space of, I think it was a week, they would fix all of those problems at no cost to the family and then bring them back to the house and, and do the big reveal. After a season or two, they started tearing down completely almost every house that they visited and rebuilding them from the ground up. After the big reveal, the homeowners would be overwhelmed and they would thank the team, oftentimes through tears. And this is when this show really started to bug me. Almost every episode when that happened, as the homeowners were expressing their gratitude, someone on the team would say, it's okay, you deserve it. Really? Now think about that for just a minute. You deserve to have your house rebuilt from the ground up for nothing? That would be nice. And I think it's appropriate to be grateful when something like that happens. But do you really deserve it? This attitude, this I deserve it attitude has permeated our society. And I believe it is this attitude that's behind a lot of the rioting that we see going on. We have all these other reasons for it. You know, I don't like this or I don't like that. But when it comes right down to it, the rioters are burning and looting. It's okay for me to burn down a department store and steal a big screen TV because they have 20 of them and I don't have one. I deserve it. You owe me is part of this attitude. And that, that attitude that you owe me, I deserve it, is behind the greed and the struggle that we see for power everywhere in the world today. I deserve it. It's behind lying and cheating and stealing. It's behind laziness. I deserve it. I don't have to work for it. Someone should give it to me. And here's a hard truth that I think needs to be said, and you may think this is harsh, but not only does it need to be said, but it's something that needs to be learned by our society. Nobody owes you nothing. Think about that for a second. Nobody owes you anything. Not the government. Not your family. Not the church. Certainly not God. Nobody owes you anything. You have a life. It's up to you to live it the best way that you can. But here's another truth, 
And that is that bad attitudes begin to change when we practice gratitude and trust in our lives. Uh, I read a book several years ago, actually it's been more than that, maybe 10 years ago, by a woman named Ann Voskamp. And the book was called 1,000 Gifts. This is one of those things that my wife read and was just freaking out over and, oh, this is the best thing ever. And I said, that's what you sounded like, yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, I, I guess I'll try it. So I opened it up and I started reading the first chapter. And as I recall, I might be wrong, but the first chapter was about childbirth. Is that what it was about? Yeah, there was something about childbirth in that first chapter. It just didn't really grab me. But I pressed on and I, and I went on through the book and I really began to see the appeal to Debbie about this book. And in this book, Ann Voskamp says this, and I think this is probably the thing that struck me the most. She said, for the believer, anything less than gratitude and trust is practical atheism. So in other words, if you're living a life that is lacking gratitude and lacking trust, then you might as well be an atheist. In fact, maybe you're claiming to be a believer, but you're practicing atheism. I think we should all stop and ask ourselves, am I a grateful believer or am I a practicing atheist? The believer part should be pretty easy. You're here. You're watching this video. Hopefully that means you're a believer or at very least a seeker. And so ask yourself, do I believe in Christ? But what about the grateful part or the trust? Do I trust Jesus really with everything? If you want gratitude to change your life, then there are some things that you have to do. And the first of those is, of course, believe. John 6, 28 through 29 says this. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, belief is more than just saying a phrase. Belief involves certain things. Belief involves action, for one thing. Belief also involves trust. And trust is defined as to have confidence or faith in the truth of a person or idea. So when we say we believe in Christ, we're also saying we trust him. We're saying that we believe and we have confidence in the things he says are true and that they can be counted on. And, and when we're talking about believing and trusting, we need to believe and trust when things are good. And that's the easy part. At least it is for me. When my bank account has money in it and my rent is paid and my car is running tip-top, I have no problem trusting Jesus. When you get that new job or when you get great news from the doctor, those are the times when it's easy to say, thank you, Jesus. And say, I believe and I trust. But what about believing and trusting when things are bad? Sometimes that's not so easy. When your bank account is empty, when your health is failing, when that report from the doctor is not so good, when you've experienced loss, 
or betrayal or pain. Or perhaps when you look around you and it seems like the entire world and the country that you've grown up in is simply falling apart. Do you still believe? Do you still trust? Because let's face it, if your faith doesn't get you through the hard times, if your faith doesn't support you during the difficult times, if your trust doesn't give you something to hope for, then what good is it really? It's in the hard times, especially, that we need to trust and believe. In Mark 16, 16 in the Amplified Bible, it reads this. I really like the Amplified Bible because it sometimes kind of fleshes out a, a thought, a passage of scripture. And it says, he who believes, who adheres to and trusts in and relies on the gospel and him whom it sets forth will be saved. But he who does not believe, who does not adhere to and trust in and rely on the gospel and him whom it sets forth will be condemned. So you see in that, in that particular translation, it fleshes out the belief. Belief includes adhering to and trusting in and relying on the gospel and on Christ. And so I think there are a few things that we need to consider if we want to live a life that is a life of belief and trust. And the first of those, and, and you know, this is me. I'm not taking this out of scripture necessarily. But the first thing I think we need to do, and that I see, at least in my own life, and sometimes in the folks around me, a lack of the wonder of God. We need to recapture our wonder and our awe of God. See, our society today worships science. We can explain everything through science. We've split the atom and we've harnessed its power. We've cataloged and labeled every living species from plants and animals and insects and viruses, everything. We've cataloged it and labeled it and put it in a book. <clears throat> we can build 150-story tall skyscrapers. In fact, right now, the biggest skyscraper in the world is 2,717 feet tall. That's a pretty tall skyscraper. We did that. We know all about the human body and how it works. We've photographed infants developing in the womb and can even edit DNA and the human genome the very poorest among us has more access to resources and information at their fingertips than most people in the entire world have. The very poorest among us are among some of the richest in the world. Science in this country is king. And when you have this much knowledge, when you can open these books and turn on the internet and get this information, it's hard to be grateful and to trust God because we depend too much on our own knowledge and our own wisdom. We depend on ourselves. But scripture reminds us over and over again of the awesomeness of God. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 10:17 says this, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, 
the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Now you might think that last part is a little odd, but think about it for a second. The God we worship is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He is awesome and is mighty, and he has no partiality. There is nothing we can do to sway his opinion. He already knows. Nehemiah 9.6 says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas, and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. In Isaiah 40.28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. If we lose our wonder of God, we cannot possibly trust him. We cannot worship him. We cannot be grateful to him. Because when we lose our wonder of God, he becomes our equal. And that simply cannot be. And let me tell you why that can't be. I have absolutely no desire to worship or serve a God who is on equal footing with me. And I think if you thought about it and you were honest, you wouldn't either. I want a God that I can't understand. I want a God that is awesome and powerful. I want a God who shows himself to me and displays his love to me. And that's a God that I'm willing to serve. But when we bring God down to the level of science, when we think we can explain everything in the world, we cease to have a wonder and an awe of God. And we also lose the ability to worship him. We lose the ability to be grateful to him, excuse me. And we lose the ability to trust him. He becomes, he becomes us. And this happens all too often. Too many people in this country worship themselves and not the one true God. When our kids were little, <clears throat> Debbie started this game that we would play whenever we were in the car. Uh, I used to think she did it just to keep them distracted so they didn't bother me while I was driving. But I think she had deeper motives than that. And the game was called I Spy God. And so we would drive down the road and the kids would say, I spy God. And Debbie would say, where do you spy God? And they would say, I spy God in that tree. And then we would talk about the tree. And they would say, I spy God. Where do you spy God? I spy God in that cow. And we would talk about the cow. And then, you know, sometimes it got a little silly. Turn this one on, it'll be fine. So it got a little silly. We'd say, I spy God. We'd say, where do you spy God? We'd say, I spy God in pizza. But, you know, in all her wisdom, Debbie taught the kids that when something gives you joy, when something makes you stop and be grateful, even if it's a pizza, that's a gift from God. 
Scripture tells us that all good things are gifts from God. And so the I spy God thing is something that even to this day, when I'm driving down the road, I try to practice. I try to be grateful for things that annoy me. I'll give you a good example. I drive a school bus. And oftentimes, I'm out on the west end of town, and I get behind one of those great, big, giant harvesters that takes up the whole road. I don't know if it's a harvester or not. I'm a city boy. But it's big, and it takes up the whole road. And my first impulse is to be annoyed because now I have to slow down until he pulls off the road. But I stop and think and I say, God, thank you for this man who was willing to put in the work to plow the fields and plant the corn and harvest it and support this community. And suddenly that big harvester or that big piece of equipment is a wonder to me. It's something that's amazing and it's not something that is annoying I spy God. I spy God in my grandchildren's faces. I spy God in my newborn granddaughter's teeny tiny hands that are so small they can't even wrap all the way around my finger. I spy God when I think about him, when I look for him in many, many, many places. And I'm grateful for those things. But it's not something that I do naturally. It's something that I have to practice. It's something that I have to work on. And I think that I'm not too terribly unlike anybody else. At least I hope not. Because if I am, then I'm really in trouble. We need to learn to count our blessings. And we need to learn to count our blessings in all things. C.S. Lewis said this about, uh, about trouble. And I think I'm might have an echo here. Okay, I'm going to leave that up to you guys. He said this, C.S. Lewis said this, he said, we ought to give thanks for all fortune, if it is good, because it is good, if bad, because it works in us patience, humility, and the contempt of this world, and the hope of our eternal country. In other words, C.S. Lewis there is saying, we need to be thankful for everything, for good things, and for bad things. Because good things are good, and so that's a reason to be thankful. But bad things often bring about a change in us. They bring about uh, a growth in us, a, a spiritual growth, an emotional growth, a relational growth. I, I will tell you that most of the growth that's occurred in my life has occurred through bad things. And when things are good, I don't tend to be interested in growing. I tend to be interested in just sitting back and enjoying life. And so we ought to give thanks for all fortune, whether it's good or whether it's bad. In other words, we don't have to put on a false joy or pretend to be happy in bad times. But true gratitude comes from seeing the work of God, the hand of God, in those bad circumstances in our lives and in the lives of those around us. True gratitude comes from participating in that work of God in those bad circumstances, in our lives and in the lives of those around us. When we're not grateful, when we don't trust God, we disconnect from those bad times and we lose that opportunity for growth and for hope and for trust. The truth is, 
that God's blessing sometimes comes in the form of trials. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Now let me stop for a second right there. When I am in the middle of a trial, I very rarely look at myself in the mirror and go, I am so joyful today. But James is telling us to do just that. He's telling us, consider it great joy, not just a little joy, but great joy whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. When we face trials, we need to be grateful for those trials. My prayer in the midst of a trial is typically, God, get me out of here as soon as possible. I think the better prayer is, God, teach me what I need to learn during this season so that I can get past it and grow from there. We need to respond in gratitude for what God has done for us. If you look around the world and, and you look around your life and you can find absolutely nothing to be grateful for, you're so depressed that a beautiful sunrise or a freshly opened rose or the smile of a little child just can't bring you joy, can't bring you to be grateful, then think about this. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says this. It says, while, For while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified for his, by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. God did the work that was required through Jesus when we wanted nothing to do with him. When we were sinners, he sent Christ to die for me, for you, for all of us. And that, my friends, is something to be wonder, wondrous about and something to be forever grateful for. Now, I'd like to close tonight with a story about a girl I knew named Daisy. This is a girl who was very near and dear to my heart. And before you get the wrong idea, here's a picture of Daisy. Daisy was what I like to call a pregnancy pet. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me for this. But women who are pregnant oftentimes come up with some pretty funny ideas. And one of those, in my experience, has been that they get what I call pregnancy pets. A pregnancy pet is a pet that a family gets either shortly before a birth of a child or shortly after the birth of a child. And then they decide, 
I really didn't need this extra stress in my life on top of a newborn infant. Daisy was a pregnancy pet. She wasn't our pregnancy pet. She was a friend of Debbie's who thought that it would be a good idea to have a puppy to grow up with her newborn child. And soon after the birth, she realized that dealing with a newborn and a puppy was probably not the best idea. So she asked us if we wanted Daisy. Now, I have to tell you, in our family over the years, we have had every kind of imaginable pet there is. We've had dogs. We've had cats. We've had reptiles of all kinds, lizards, snakes, turtles, tortoises. We've had guinea pigs, rabbits, chickens, birds. And I did not want Daisy. I did not want Daisy. But as usual, where pets were uh, involved, I was overruled. Well, so we got Daisy, we brought her home, and we brought her into the family. And it soon became apparent that Daisy, somewhere along the her short life had picked up an extreme dislike or distrust of men. Now, she didn't seem to be too concerned with Josh. He was, this was 20-some years ago, so Josh was little. But when I came in the room, she would cower down and run away. And she would make a wide circle around me. I mean, she would not cross right in front of me or within reach. She was terrified of me, it became quickly apparent, and wanted nothing whatsoever to do with me. So that was just more reason for me not to want to keep her. But again, I was overruled. At this time in my life, I was working from home, and I had a home office. And I was in my office one day, and, the, and our twins came running into the office, and they said, Dad, Dad, Daisy fell in the pool. And so I, you know, looked out the window, and the water was choppy, like something was in the pool. I could just see the very corner of the pool. And I thought, she's a dog. Dogs can swim. So I went back to my work. A few minutes later, I look out, and the water's still chopping in the pool, and obviously something's still in the water. And I thought, she'll find the steps and get out. I'm kind of busy right now. And then... A thought came into my head, oh, it's the middle of January. That water's probably really, really cold. So I decided I would check on her. I got up, I went through the house, out the back door, and there's Daisy, four or five feet from the edge, and just as I walk out the door, she goes under. So I ran over to the side of the pool and stretched out as far as I could. I grabbed her by the scruff of the neck and pulled her out, laid her down on the sidewalk, and she laid there. She coughed up a few lungfuls of water, and we wrapped her up in towels and brought her back in the house, dried her off, and once I was sure she wasn't going to die, because the twins would have absolutely had a fit about that, uh, I went back to work. I went on with my day, and I didn't give it another thought until that evening when I came into the house and I sat down. We had dinner. We sat down in the living room, and Daisy walked into the room jumped up on the couch and sat in my lap. She had never done this before. And from that day forward, Daisy was my dog. She was totally devoted to me. It was a 180-degree turn. And by the way, this is a true story. You can ask Debbie. Now, 
you're probably thinking, what is the point of that story? Well, the point of the story is simply this. Jesus did exactly the same thing for us. He did exactly the same thing for you. When you had nothing to do with him, when you wouldn't even acknowledge him, he reached down and he pulled you up. And he pulled you up not from a cold pool, but from a freezing ocean. A dirty, filthy, disgusting ocean of sin. And then, after he pulled you out and dried you off, he went down into that pool and he drowned in your place. He drowned in my place. Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He did it willingly. He took our place. He paid the penalty for sin. And like Daisy's response to me pulling her from the pool, our response to Christ should be one of gratitude and one of trust. And when we look around the world today and we see that things are not getting better, we have less and less to be hopeful for, we still have Christ. We still need to trust him. We still need to be grateful for the things he has given to us. John 10, 17 through 18 says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. So there Jesus himself tells us that he willingly lays down his life for us. And friends, if you can't find anything to wonder about, if you can't find anything to be hopeful about, there is something that we can put our hope in, that we can wonder about the mystery of a God who would send his only begotten son to this world to die in our place so that we could be reconciled and live forever with him in heaven. And so in closing, the question for you today is this, how will you respond? Are you going to respond in hopelessness and despair? Are you gonna put your trust and your faith in science, in politics, in money? Or are you going to open your hearts and your minds and your ears to the blessings of God? This is truly the better path. This is the path of life that Jackie is always telling us about. And these blessings, they surround us on a daily basis. We see them in the sunrise. We see them in flowers. We see them in recovery. We see them in so many places, but too often we fail to see them because we're not looking for them. I once for a long period of time in my life, wondered why God didn't speak to me. 
And I wanted him to speak to me. And one day, I, I heard a voice. It wasn't a, like a ding voice from heaven kind of a voice, but it was a voice inside my head. And that voice said, I am speaking to you, but you're not listening. And I realized that was true, that God speaks to us all the time, but oftentimes we are so distracted by what goes on around us. We are so lost in despair. We are so putting our trust in other things than God that we fail to hear his voice. And so after we open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears, we need to learn to respond with wonder and gratitude and trust. Perhaps we all need to play a game of I Spy God. Why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. Father God, we look around this world today and there are so many things for us to be disturbed by. There is so much wrong in this world. There are so many things that need to be righted. And we have a big tendency, Lord, to look at the wrong places for the answers to those questions. The truth is those answers will only ever come from you. And the truth is that those answers are going to come at the right time, in your time, and not before. We need, God, to be grateful for the promises you've made. We need to be wondrous at the world and the creation and the awesomeness that is you. We need to trust, God, that what you have said you will do and that what you want to accomplish will be done in your time. Help us with these things, Lord. We are weak and it's easy for us to get distracted. We thank you, God, for your many blessings, even when we don't always see them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.